Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. I'm living that snipe life now. Comic like a clown, no doses, all pages. Bagging, boarding Batman in the gutter like amazing storytellers. We some fellas, we some felons in the mazes. Acapella, varicella, cause this shit is so contagious. Mouse on the summaries, compiling out the show. While the cycle spitting knowledge on the Yeti like a pro. Beat the babble, we the rabble, don't step to the squad. We get active, and haters like a cephalopod. You don't like fish talk? Do you hate a tomato? We the cuttlefish killers, tentacles on the table. Greatest five stars if you cherish your life. Bucky Barnes hit squad spraying lead in your pipe. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Is This Just Bad? Is This Just Bad? The best podcast you never heard of. I'm your host, Professor Moss, joined as always by the CBS Mollist himself. And I got a question for him. Are you living that snipes life? You know, some mice are always trying to roller skate up uphill. <laughs> uh, it's not roller skate, it's ice skate, isn't it? It's ice skate up a mountain or something. <laughs> That line doesn't mean anything. It's you know, not even vampire related. It's, but it's wonderful. It's the clunkiest, worst line, I think. But it's delivered in the coolest way. I mean, he could have said anything. He could have said, you know, not all chalupas have sour cream. Or like, just whatever. Right. That's the way the cookie crumbles. <laughs> anything. Which is actually very funny because there's a, there's a movie out. And this is fun because we get to talk about some of the stuff. Uh, this is just bad. Uh, whatever week of Nosferatu, week five, we got six and seven coming up, and we are doing Blade and Shadow of the Vampire, um, aka uh, the mini series within the mini series um, centered on the work of Udo Kier. So <laughs> the the reason it's going to be fun to talk about Blade is because we get to talk about superheroes, which is something we haven't talked about in like five weeks and we're in superhero withdrawal yeah by talking about the x-men last week we did we did talk about the x-men in relation to Anne rice um but so there's a there there's a bizarre thing that's happening a lot in recent superhero movies where people are making light of slogans and sayings and catchphrases mm-hmm. uh it happened in thor love and thunder and it's a runner in black adam which i saw um it's also very much a theme in she hulk Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so it was just funny to see it was funny to see the kind of progenitor of the Marvel universe. Um, although we do have to give respect to to Howard the Duck because that was the first. Um do we? <laughs> I mean you do. That was the first Marvel movie. <laughs> well, what now what about the um uh David Hasselhoff Nick Fury movie? <laughs> the the first theatrically distributed marvel film. what about the dolph lundgren punisher movie <laughs> we could keep going was that before howard the duck <laughs> i don't know i probably i don't think so the dolph lundgren punisher movie was howard the duck i think was 86 i think it was after return of the jedi um i'll look it up while you keep talking but I, mean, I don't know. I think Lucas. Uh, oh, you're right. Dolph Lundgren, 1989. Yeah, yeah. And Lucas also identifies it as the first Marvel movie. So I mean, oh, we can trust everything <laughs> that man says. 
<laughs> so it's uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's uh, irrefutable. Um, no, so like, but there was all like the Fantastic Four movie. I think came out before Blade. Blade was '98, like that b- weird, weird one. Um, but in terms of like mass theatrical release, trying to mainstream uh, Marvel sort of comic book characters, Blade is like the second of all time. Like there was a there was a there was a resurgence um, between like the '60s. Uh, sort of weird, campy television shows, and then into the '80s, you had the more sort of like, if you can imagine, dear listener, like a more serious take on Superman and those Richard Donner and uh, uh, Richard Lester super Superman movies or whatever. Um, but Marvel didn't really play in that sandbox that much. It wasn't until Blade 1998, um, and you know, probably a huge push from David S. Goyer, who we'll also talk about. Um, yeah, we will. That, that resulted in this film. Um, so, I, but I want to go reverse chronologically. I think because I think Shadow of the Vampire is probably going to close the book on Dracula for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know we've been doing i i got to the point where they were um they were showing scenes and there's some of the scenes are from actual nosferatu but they were like recreating scenes with eddie izzard um and willem dafoe in shadow of the vampire where i'm like i think i'm done with this like, good I, to see dracula enough times i think i think six dracula movies or however many we covered is enough like we're this is this is a perfect end to this particular uh part of my life um but so shadow of the vampire is one you advocated for why what's the what's the importance of this film i think shadow of the vampire is fascinating so just for those who haven't watched it um it is a movie about the making of Nosferatu. Um, but the conceit is, what if uh, Murnau found an actual vampire to play the role of Count Orlok? So it's Willem Dafoe playing a vampire, playing Max Shrek, playing Count Orlok. Yeah, it's a very Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, it's a dude <laughs> playing a dude disguised as another dude, exactly. Um, and what's really interesting about it is one, it's got a deep abiding love for the original Sferatu. So they are shot by shot recreating some of the some of it. They are um just using shots from the original film in some cases. Yeah. And it's a film, I think, that um understands what unites both of these films this week is that they're two films that really understand why they're making a vampire movie. So what we've talked mm-hmm. about throughout is you can put vampires in a movie and it could suck. but um you might not know what the point of it is vampires are very malleable metaphors but they work best when you have a real goal in mind and so shadow the vampire yes it's a vampire movie it's a vampire movie about a vampire movie um but it's also specifically about movies as vampiric Mm -hmm. i think what's fascinating about it is in addition to being a common it's a commentary on vampire stories it's a commentary on the movie making industry mm-hmm. so because it's so early it's Murnau's obsession with making this movie with verisimilitude with achieving immortality um the woman who plays the mina harker role that uh, the the character of the actress playing the role uh, t- <laughs> we're gonna get real meta today um talks about how because she is also a theater actress 
she uh, corresponds or compares, hey, the theater audiences give me life. The movie camera only takes it away. And so the idea of the movie camera giving you a version of immortality, but it's flat, it's silent, it's cold, it's black and white, but it, it sucks out your life force but it gives you this sort of undeath in return. Mm. Um, and in doing so, the movie-making people, the producer, the director, um, exploiting their crew, exploiting their cast at all costs, making the movie, the movie itself is paramount despite the, you know, the, the health and safety concerns uh, on set of this vampire eating them, um, says something really interesting about um, that kind of embedded critique of capitalism as a really useful metaphor for vampires. And so yeah. this movie is a really good adaptation of Dracula and the Dracula story of it starts out funny, it starts out kind of goofy, it's got situational comedy, and then it gets more and more upsetting as you understand what's happening. Mm -hmm. And I find the ending of the movie to be truly horrifying. It's not a scary film. Right. But the end, what the movie says about what this man's willing to do to get the shot yeah. uh, is is really creepy. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think that intrinsically, and this is probably why the Dark Universe failed so hard, um, is because there's nothing intrinsically interesting about a vampire or a fucking werewolf or a mummy or any of these monsters. Um, what's interesting is sex. What's interesting is race. What's interesting is power. And the movies that we've done that sort of successfully integrate these metaphors are movies that have something to say beyond the monster. And Shadow of the Vampire is about this sort of like and 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 the and the performances are so good and and um John Malkovich plays FW Murnau and 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 they really do do a good job of contextualizing it where it's like um when they're boarding the train <clears throat> to go to to the location where they'll 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 finally meet Max Shrek. That's who that's who is they're present his he is presented as is Max Shrek. Um who was actually a real dude and not a vampire. <laughs> Allegedly. As far as we know, yeah. <laughs> um what, what, like they're getting on the train and, and one of the producers or, or or maybe the camera guy says something like along the lines of, you know, he he fancies himself a D.H. Griffiths or a Sergei Eisenstein or something like that. Like he's he has an ambition to become world renowned as a as a filmmaker during a period in which that doesn't mean as much as it does now. Um, and that, I think, is another a sort of added layer on top of. So you want to be the best you you want so much to be the best at such a degraded art form that you will go and put everybody in this in peril and uh, mortal danger. Yeah, he, and he's seeking, and he says even a couple of times in the film, you know, this will make us immortal. Like this film, we are the architects of memory, but our memories will not fade. Right. They'll be eternal. And he's seeking immortality. He's seeking absolute power. And he, he in and of himself is vampiric and they do a good job of visually he looks a little bit like Nosferatu um yeah. and they especially when they're together in the same shot 
of Shrek and Murna, and it's very much this duality. So yes, absolutely. Um, we've we're at the point where good stories can be metaphorically vampiric without being having vampires actually in them, and bad stories can have vampires in them without being good vampire tales. Right. Yeah. And so this one happens to be both. Yeah. I, John Malkovich wears a hairpiece in this that looks bad. <laughs> um, Willem Dafoe. What, what's interesting about because if you if you look at Max Shrek without the Nosferatu makeup, kind of looks like a handsome dude. Um, I think it's funny that they they hire Willem Dafoe to play Count Orlock. And and they do put makeup on him, but I imagine it's far less than they had to put on Max Shrek because he kind of <laughs> looks fucked up already. <laughs> yeah, he's a weird, weird looking dude. Um, yeah, he's perfect for this. And he does a beautiful job. Something that you don't get in the Nosferatu film at all is really understanding uh, Orlok's motivations. Like you get the sense he's greedy. He wants power. He wants the woman. But like Dracula, he's not in the movie that much. Right. You see him sort of scuttling around. What Shadow the Vampire does is give you more time with Orlok behind the scenes. And there's, the be- there's a beautiful scene of where he and the producer and the writer are all sitting down, getting drunk, and they ask him about Dracula, the book. And oh, he says, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Murnau, you know, the director gave it to me and it made me sad. Yeah. And they're like, dude, you missed the point of the book. And then he explains... It made him sad because he's seeing it from Dracula's perspective. Oh, this guy doesn't have any servants anymore, and he's, uh, you know, he's reminiscing about his glory days, and he's a wasted version of himself. And like, no, he does get a point of the book, um, right. but it's he's looking at it from the monster's perspective, and that's he he, he also he's still a bad guy. Yeah, he also does point a plot hole out in Dracula, which is that it's been four hundred years since he's eaten, and so like, why isn't he? On like, why isn't he a wisp? <laughs> oh well, eaten. He means eating human food. Does he still oh, remember how to cook? Does God, he still remember how to buy bread? He's uh, he's been feeding on people the entire time, and bringing babies back to his brides to munch on. Yeah, and, and it, but it also does seem like there's a there's a loneliness that he identifies with in that sort of time span. And it it's interesting because we don't get a lot of backstory into because the revelation that he's a real vampire happens so far into the film, where for the most of most of the film it's like kind of like he's just a weird guy, and he's Eddie Ezra is presenting him as being method, <laughs> right? So it's yeah. like he Mall Mall made the point. Uh, when Izzard said that of saying like this is why you can't let people be method on set because like this. Right. Leads to Jared Leto. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, is I wonder if this has happened in real life. Is there anybody method? Because, like, by all accounts, Daniel Day Lewis is like a normal, nice dude. <laughs> he just is yeah. like a fucking freak when he's on a when he's on a movie set. Uh, what's his face? Jeremy Strong as well is by all accounts like a normal, nice dude. Um, even though they wrote that piece about him that made him sound like a fucking freaky weirdo. And Brian Cox, who's always, you know, very vocal about everything, was like, yeah, he's kind of needs to dial it back because it's weird. Um, yeah. maybe, it's, maybe it's just Jared Leto who, like, you know, sends dead animals to his co-stars instead of Suicide Squad. Yeah, like used condoms and shit like that. I mean, it, it, through the mailman, that's 
uh, questionably legal. Um, But like, but that's the kind of the reason we're bringing that up is it speaks to the leeway given to these people and the sort of things that 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 directors like that will let folks get away with in order to achieve what they think is some higher purpose of making this film, and it puts people in danger. Yeah, Um, at one point. Uh, what's his face? Eddie Izzard just says that he's uh, <laughs> he's like a Stanislavski disciple, citing <laughs> a sort of like famous um, uh, like nineteenth century uh, actor uh, theorist. Um, and as 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 it sort of progresses, like his first scene is that scene where Eddie Izzard like walks into a dark like uh clearing and he's terrified of the sight of count orlock he doesn't talk he just sort of recedes back but his first like talking scene is because <laughs> we we mentioned this when we talk about nosferatu um the character knock produces the contract that was sent over by nosferatu or by by count orlock and it's just a bunch of nonsense it's just gibberish on a piece of paper and as Willem Dafoe is sitting there with Eddie Izzard, he says to John Malkovich, he's like, this isn't right. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is nonsense. <laughs> uh-huh. Which is, it's it's funny in the moment, but even more funny in retrospect because he's an actual vampire. <laughs> yeah, these like spooky symbols aren't like ancient vampire writing. It's no, just dude, actually I nonsense. speak English, guy. <laughs> the contract should be in English. <laughs> or German or something. But yeah, absolutely. Now, that's wonderful. And I also like that you see Orlock get better at acting through the course of the movie. Like right. he's really bad in his first scene. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't know where to look, doesn't know how to yeah. like take cues. Yeah, and then he like kills somebody in his first scene. Yeah, he starts he starts feeding on the camera guy. Right. Yeah. And Eddie Izzard accidentally cuts himself and he gets the he gets the thirst or whatever. And so all the signs are there. Um, and eventually I, I can't remember what the reveal is or when the reveal happens where he's an actual vampire or if it just like slowly you just sort of There's a absorb couple that. of different reveals where, you know, they keep asking Murna, where'd you find this guy? He's like in that hole right there. on right. set, <laughs> And then slowly certain people start figuring it out. And the writer figures it out. Nobody believes him. And then eventually... Um, when he Walmart, eats the bat, maybe that's the moment. Well, when he eats the bat and the writer's like, the German theater needs you. But it's like a tip-off <laughs> um, that, yeah, he starts figuring it out. And then Murnau's high on, uh, like, opium or morphine or something and starts um, just spilling the beans about... Uh, he found legends about vampires in college and then... Mm-hmm figured it out when he wanted to make this movie um but by then it's too late yeah the one question i had maybe they addressed this and i missed it can you capture a vampire on film that's a good question i mean the yes <laughs> the conceit of the movie is yes because when um, he's in the final scene with the character that plays mina there's a she realizes a that that he's not showing up in the mirror yeah, and so he doesn't cast a reflection, but somehow they can still film him. And I don't understand how that's possible. Yeah. Because um, 
you know, Blackula and other, usually it's one or the other, where, like, if he, if, he, if he can't be seen in a mirror, you also can't photograph him. Right, yeah, yeah. And this one is just like, well, that's not going to work for the conceit of the film, because he's being filmed. And there is this whole dialogue about, if it doesn't show up in frame, it doesn't exist. Right. And so while it would be poetic if the vampire can't be filmed, it simply doesn't work for the whole conceit of the movie. So they just kind of fudge it. Yeah, and he sees the daily rushes and stuff. Yeah, so there must be some difference between reflection in a mirror versus film, even though that involves lenses. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's probably just not addressed. I mean, it could typically in a in, in a in a horror film, the way that you um, capture like a ghost or a vampire is through like security cam footage. Mm-hmm. And you see something happen or you know that somebody is there or that something happened to somebody. And then you watch the security footage back and you're like, there's nothing there. And then you're like, that reveals either the uh, identity of a vampire or the existence of a ghost, um, which is always like a clever way of of of, of doing it. Um but yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's the the sixteen millimeter cameras that they're using. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's something about film, right? When you crank it, it uh, it overcomes the the mirror thing. Yeah, that's just, not addressed, but it's the power of cinema. That's yes, what it is. There you go. Perfect <laughs> movie magic. Got it. Nailed it. There 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 were a few uh, weird things about this movie. I I did like the I did like the sort of like closing summation where they go. I can't remember. Maybe it was Udo Kier's character who says, you know, he is, he is so, he's so obsessed with capturing the, 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 the most realistic representation of, of life on film that everything was real. Every, like the, the people that he cast as extras were people who actually lived in that town and, and, and all these other sort of, aspects of his approach to to cinema um where then you can land what is the most absurd part of the film which is that he's even he's so committed that he got an actual vampire to play vampire in his movie um and and kill everybody on set (laughs) and, and 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 all of that shit um which i thought was really interesting the cast of this movie is bananas um, cause you have, <laughs> you have Malkovich wearing a wig, which is crazy. You have Defoe playing the craziest, most fucked up character. Maybe I've seen him play. I mean, this is really, really him at like peak level. Um, interestingly, he will do, I think his next role is, is the Green Goblin. Because it is, yeah, this is two thousand. This comes out in two thousand, and then he immediately goes to the Green Goblin after that. Yeah, and, and so they look the same. <laughs> yeah, so he's just playing freaky like villains in in, in this period of his career. Um, Udo Kier is great. Eddie Izzard is great. The moment Carrie Elwes enters this movie, he lowers, ev- like the whole fucking bar. Of, I'm like, is this a Swedish guy? Like who? is this a british like what accent are you doing and it's all that's interesting because like malkovich is not trying to really do a german accent he's just doing sort of like a little sort of elevated speech but he's 
he's not really committed to anything specific. Yeah. Ludo Kier is actually German. Right. Um, Eddie Izzard is not trying. Like other people are just sort of decided to sound like whatever they feel like sounding like. Yeah. And then Carrie always is doing like a high school, <laughs> high school theater <laughs> German accent. I mean, when he comes into the movie, because I, I, I've slowly sort of realized over time that Carrie Elwes is not where it's at. <laughs> he has like a very, very, he has an iconic role in The Princess Bride, and he's great in that film. Um, he pops in in this movie, and it is like, there, like you, he's not in the same league as the rest of the cast. In he, he reminds me of like Kenneth Branagh when he's like mailing it in to do like a goofy accent and like yeah. pretend to be Poirot or something. <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, but at least Poirot has a consistent absurdity. Like Elvis from scene to scene, it's like, where is this guy from? Um, and uh, <laughs> I, I remember the, the, the first time I saw the movie Saw with my friends, there was a lot of, I think, unintended laughter um, because Elwes's performance in that movie is abysmal where you're like, Oh, this guy is supposed to be in a life threatening like situation. And he can't express that. And the other guy, Lee Wynnell, who is like a director producer who was just like, James Wan was like, all right, you got to do this, man. Like <laughs> we, we got yeah, Elwes. No money left. We got Elwes. We got no money left. Is like crushing it. <laughs> And Tobin Bell just laying down in the middle of the fucking room the whole time. Yeah, no, it was it was it was bonkers. I was like, maybe maybe Saw was just like a bad like a bad situation. Um, and now he has now exclusively been doing like Christmas movies on Netflix and the Hallmark Channel and shit like that. Um, so it was weird to see him in this film because he also lo- he looks like a Hollywood guy. He looks like an actor who should be in all the movies, and he opens his mouth. And that turns out to not be the case, um, but yeah, the, the 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 overarching point here, I think, is 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 well taken. Roger Ebert um, gave the movie high praise because he says that the um, transition between archival footage and the footage that is is was put together by um, the director of this film is like almost identical. Yeah, it looks beautiful this is like trouble with tribbles level archival matching mm. of the ds9 and the original series like getting sets to look the same getting costumes to look the same lining up the shots to look the same it's really really good and there's there i have just seen nosferatu a couple of times recently and there's spots where like i'm not sure which one that's from right is that willem dafoe or not and it's really really extremely well done even without it being a good story, which it absolutely is. Um, it's really technically very proficient. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is there is there any more to say on not just Shadow of the Vampire, but Shadow of the Vampire, Nosferatu, Dracula? Um, I will say that there is a good reason we don't put credits at the beginnings of films anymore. Oh, God. I fucking forgot about that. It was... It's interminable. <laughs> It was so fucking long. Do you know the rule about credits, by the way? No, tell me. So actors must be credited twice in film. On, 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 like in the actual film itself. And so this is the reason why 
at the end of a lot of blockbuster movies, they do like the montage of the characters and they go like Dwayne Johnson and they'll have like an artistic representation of Black Adam. Mm -hmm. And then the credit will also say Dwayne Johnson as Black Adam because you need to have two credits. Uh And usually they do it at the beginning of the film and the end of the film. Um, And now, uh, unless it's like a James Bond type of thing where... It's like traditional, but also like the credits is part of the movie. Like the opening mm-hmm. credits is like part of the film and the song is part of the experience. Usually people will like throw it to the back of the film because it, you're right. It's like, I mean, this is a very sort of old school. I mean, it, it it's riffing on a movie that came out in 1922, yeah, right? They're, so they're doing it on purpose. So they've got like these beautiful shots of this like very art deco looking um, it looks like the wall of an old fancy movie theater. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's cool in theory, but in practice, it's like five minutes long and it's <laughs> interminable. I did, and I did realize that they were doing the whole credits when they started like getting down to the crew and stuff. And I did fast forward through the fucking credits because I'm like, this is this is not not yeah, not like, important. I, I appreciate the commitment to the bit because this movie is all about being committed to the bit. Yeah, and it did offer me the chance to realize that Nick Cage produces produced this movie. Right, yeah. Um, which makes total sense because it's a weird movie about making movies. Uh, but yeah, that that is a um, a uh, tradition that is best left in the past. Yeah, and sometimes you'll see it um, still in, in, in some movies. Um, but it, like in the 90s especially they would just have the action of the film continue as the credits were. Yeah. And this is something they do in TV where you just like, you just have it running on the bottom of the bottom third of the screen as the first scene is starting. It's fine. And you ignore it or you don't. But right. um, if you've got like some establishing shots and some initial action and that's fine, we can just get the movie started, but just literally sitting there staring at a slideshow watching mm. the credits was rough. Well, how did you feel about uh, the Blade opening credits having black screen, red name, <laughs> every so dope. character in the fucking movie? Now, see, well, see, speaking of commitment to a bit, so this is a, this is a great segue because, yes, historically we understand Blade to be a catalyst for superhero movies. At the time, mm. I would posit that Blade has no interest in being a superhero movie. It's not a superhero movie. It's a black exploitation movie. It's a martial arts movie. Um, it's uh, it knows why it wants to be a vampire movie specifically, and it has very interesting things to say about being a black man in America who's a vampire, mm-hmm. um, and all the sorts of critiques that you are hoping for from Interview with a Vampire, even. Yeah. And it's only very, um, uh, sort of in a tertiary way, happens to be from a superhero comic because blade itself is not really a superhero comic it's a horror comic it's a vampire comic it he gets rolled into superheroes but that character appears first i think in like tomb of dracula in the 70s Mm. Um, it's not in as a vampire hunter it's not necessarily meant to be a superhero it's only a function of marvel coalescing all of its stories into a shared superhero universe that makes us understand him as a as specifically a superhero so this movie yeah to the opening credits it's doing a black exploitation thing like it's doing a blackula um, where the art of the credits and the high contrast and the cool musical sting is all part of the bit and it's awesome this movie it, it rocks. Yeah. i mean it owns and 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 it's and it's not a superhero movie well one thing i will say is i 
I think that we give Blade credit. I don't think that Blade and specifically Wesley Snipes gets enough uh, mainstream credit for all this fucking nonsense. Um, like this movie predates a lot of uh, what will become these sort of shared universe franchises and sort of mainstreaming things that were seen as as poisonous, which were like comic books. I mean, there was even like there was a sense when Tim Burton took up the the the, the Batman character it was like Tim Burton's doing Batman. Why why would why would any director debase themselves to do a Batman film? And that still was the sort of overarching um, perception of this, especially with what Joel Schumacher was doing with Batman in the 90s. And so, like, these movies became this kind of, like, whack, uh, uh, campy, but not in the fun way kind of, like, indulgence that um, was a popcorn movie. And, like... The things that uh, Wesley Snipes does in this movie and drawing on these exploitation movies and these black exploitation movies and these grindhouse kung fu movies is introduce a lot of things um, to this character um, which make, and to the story, which make Blade also stand out amongst it, sort of contemporary superhero movies, which is Blade curses, Blade fucks, Blade will kick your ass, and you will like experience the viscerality in watching these movies that you don't experience anymore. You don't, you can't feel that anymore. Watching this movie or rewatching this movie, I felt like, Oh God, they, this is how we started. And for the most part, I mean, you know, it, it launched the thousand ships and those early X-Men movies were pretty gritty and stuff like that. And, and they just got continually got, sort of more and more uh watered down and away from this yeah shaved down and molded down to fit into to a specific mold so i think the fact that blade benefits in many ways from superhero movies at that time being seen as schlocky uh unserious um not artistic because it then gives it the freedom to play in those spaces of well mm. i'll just pull in black exploitation uh, ideas and martial arts movies and all these other movies that people don't think of as high art so we'll just use all of those tropes and while yeah in many ways x-men and spider-man are really the one that launched the movies that launched the superhero formula right. what this movie does is launch visual styling and some really interesting um conceits that a bunch of other franchises steal from mm -hmm. um the there are set pieces from the matrix that are just stolen directly from this movie it's almost the, it is almost unconscionable like the warner brothers should have to pay wesley snipes and the producers of blade when i when i was rewatching this movie and we talked about it because i had this sort of like vague remembrance of like there were some like similarities between blade blade and the matrix and then you watch it and to your to, to let you finish your point, but I, I just was like a mad on his behalf. Yep. Like, what the fuck? Like, they actually watched this movie and they took like that moment where he goes in um, at the end um, 
into the 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 Deacon Frost sort of like uh, I can't remember what building they're going into, but the building itself looks like the building that Neo and Trinity go to at the end of the Matrix. Yeah, the lobby fight with the cops and all the concrete of the pillars is exploding and there's a bunch of gunfire. Yeah, there are shot for shot pieces of this movie that the Matrix just totally steals from. Yeah, and then Underworld steals almost this entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> it makes a shittier version. And just, well, it, it quite literally whitewashes Blade. Yeah. And then that actually, this is a good, so visually, this movie is is groundbreaking, foundational, a turning point. Everybody steals from it. And they should. It's good. They mm. should just also pay Wesley Snipes probably <laughs> so he doesn't, because he needs it. Yeah. Um, but interestingly, thematically, this movie also knows why it wants to be a vampire movie. Specifically, I say whitewash because Underworld is much more about style over substance, but everybody in that movie's white. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have anything to say about being a vampire anymore. It doesn't know why it wants to be a vampire movie specifically. And in fact, the werewolves and the vampires, and we'll talk about it again next week, are have like a common universal monster ancestor, which is very stupid. This movie knows specifically why vampires. Mm-hmm. And it's very much tied up into this man is it is thinking about is it is ethical consumption under capitalism possible really you know what does it mean to be a vampire what does it mean to be black what does it mean to be fighting the people that you're similar to Mm -hmm. um the idea i think one of the smartest things about this film is that a lot of the people blade fights are not vampires they're vampire slaves they Mm -hmm. have been branded um but with these little cattle brands on their necks, yeah. they are um, vampire lackeys. They're their food, but they also hope to be vampires. This is also the Matrix. Yep. <laughs> well, there are whole there. Are, there's a whole speech yeah. that Blade gives. That's just the Morpheus <laughs> speech about they're everywhere. Every time you pay your taxes. God, it's just a better version of the Matrix <laughs> because vampires are a better metaphor than that computer simulation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, God, it's so frustrating. And yes, and and but all, and also to that point, Blade. Uh, every sort of modern institution, we go all all the way back to to sort of Marx and how you know, capital is undead, uh, but still continues to um, regenerate itself and 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 feed on living capital sort of like the difference between fixed capital and variable capital and how they sort of work together to generate surplus value. And there is all of the, all of the sort of like um, junior deputies, deputies of capitalism and the petite bourgeoisie and all of the uh, law enforcers and, and, and bureaucrats and things like that as, as you know, Marxist sort of uh, philosophers and intellectuals will take up that theory and to sort of add to all this sort of contemporary dimensions. And Blade is, is like weirdly following in that lineage and like threading a needle perfectly between this sort of this articulation of how capitalism continues to generate and how there are all of these various institutions that uh, operate in service of or are foundational to the protection of and the the sort of continued subjugation of 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 people under capitalism and that i think is very importantly articulated through black 
character who is a vigilante, not in the sense of Batman, but in the sense of the police are vampiric. The developers are vampiric. The people who are running this city politically, the people who are protecting the city in terms of law enforcement, and the people who are generating immense amounts of capital from this city as capitalists are all working under the same umbrella. And I, through my identity as a daywalker or as a black American male who has existed under all of these various permutations of capital across American history, am fighting against that. And uniquely suited to see it when no one else can. Yeah. And it's just, and it, and it isn't even like, because the speech that you're talking about is, is, is maybe like 15 seconds. He tells it to, um, I think he tells it to the woman. Yeah, the hematologist. He tells it to the hematologist, like in the middle of like chaos or whatever. Like he turns to her and he's like very angry. Matter of fact, like, you know, there's a world, there was a world above, there's a world below. And like all of that shit that he says. And it's not laid on thick. Like the movie does a great job of balancing the social commentary with um, just fucking cool ass shit. <laughs> yeah, with the martial arts and the absolutely. So this is interesting. So one another thing, Supernatural the show takes a ton from this uh, movie. There's a supporting character, Bobby, who's like there. The, the boys kind of cue um, and also if circuit father figure is just Abraham Whistler. This um, is- <laughs> and he speak, his speech patterns are the same. Yeah. Um, and he's, and, and Chris Christopherson is wonderful as Abraham Whistler. One again, hilarious that he's Abraham specifically mm. as a callback to Van Helsing um, and like the big muscle car and the, yeah. you know, the trunk full of weapons and all of that is very much. And the, the male bonding and the the deep love that they have for each other, despite being hyper hyper macho and hyper masculine, mm-hmm. is very much taken forward into supernatural. Um, but in a, so we've we've set up this like really interesting nexus of all of these problems in Blade. Blade is also specifically Deacon Frost is his like vampire daddy, and so because. Deacon Frost bites his mom while his mom is pregnant with with Blade, mm-hmm. and so we've got this idea. It goes back to you know sort of uh, enslavement and uh, slave masters impregnating their 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 property, and like there's a bunch of of upsetting uh, threads to tease out there. Uh, Deacon Frost call literally calls Blade to Uncle Tom at one point yeah. because it is just on the nose black exploitation talking about racism in a very clear um way mm-hmm. which I think is very clever. Um I wonder so is Deacon Frost what we would now call late stage capitalism because he is no friend to the vampire institution represented by Udo, Udo Kier yeah. in like a sniveling role. So the vampire society has sort of existed behind the shadows of human society in this um, agreement. There are treaties that we hear about briefly where they're allowed to continue to exist and control things in the shadows and they own half the city and blah, blah, blah. And Deacon Frost has decided, I don't want to do any of that anymore. Um, he's like, you know, mask off. Humans are food. I'm going to try to uh, to 
use up all of our resources all at once. He has a whole like yeah. summon the blood god thing, um, which again, Underworld takes all that whole visual set design for that whole third act from this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that feels very much like, yeah, he wants to turn people into vampires, but he's really trying to just like speed up the destruction of the world yeah. and the destruction of society. I think there's a there's a late stage capitalism versus old school capitalism critique there. There's also the fact that um, he is new money. If we think about vampire as metaphor for capitalist control, he was not born a vampire. There's something very specific here about some yeah. vampires are born into old money. They're all ancient. They're all aristocratic. Deacon Frost was turned, mm-hmm. and he's got an inferiority complex about his race yeah. um, and wants to level the playing field by summoning the blood god and turning everybody into vampires. So it will no longer matter if you're old money born vampiric or new money turned vampiric. And it strikes me that this dude would be one of those like Silicon Valley, get rich quick dumbasses on social media today yeah. of, uh, you know, crypto scams with this, <laughs> understanding that it'll make everybody rich and it'll be fine but it's just one more hyper inflated speed run of capitalist exploitation yeah absolutely and it is the difference between the sort of like the the way that 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 sort of capitalism operates in this in sort of gramscian critique in the 1930s where it's this um there is this sort of uh, hegemony that exists where there's this like council of, of people that broadly represent a kind of uh, coercive but non-coercive um, uh, imposition on people's lives where that's the that's like kind of like the matrix critique, which is they're not forcing anybody to do anything. They're still the wealthiest they still hold all of the capital and all of the resources and they still largely orchestrate um all of these sort of various institutions but um through this pact that doesn't require sort of coercion they are able to convince people that um it's our decision to participate in our own exploitation like and and it's this balance that has gone on for years um there is, I think, with the incoming sort of like Y2K and the sort of like 90s uh, dot-com bubble thing, a, a, a very um, obvious shift in global capital um, that uh, academics and historians and, and filmmakers and journalists like and, and everybody is sort of talking about there's like this this new new money because we're already in new money like we're already at, like railroad tycoons and all that shit in the in the late 19th and early 20th centuries and now but now this is like new new money now people are not owning anything that's like anchored in place now it's all and you see it in these like weird computer models that Deacon Frost has and how like he uses a computer program to create or uh, to, to sort of decode a dead language again, sort of like to joust and jolt dead capital back to life and then to create um, untold amounts of power out of that. Um, and yeah, so I think it's this very sharp 
political economic commentary. I don't know how much any of this shit is intentional again, because the David Goy David Square is not that smart. <laughs> well but maybe he was. Like there maybe are Maybe this was just his one big story that he had. Yeah, yeah maybe. Because he's been trading off the success of this film for like decades. Um and he truly is is contemporarily not that smart but this movie is like incredibly well written um yeah. for what and worth. absolutely and like even the fact that the blood god so like early drafts of the script they were going to do like a big cgi monster and thankfully they understood their cgi wasn't good enough they didn't do that but it's so much better that the blood god finale is deacon frost literally exploiting his old money vampire colleagues sucking the life out of them um, and concentrating wealth in himself. Yeah. Um, but then, I mean, he becomes like a, he's like a living Bitcoin, right? Like he's, <laughs> he's totally um, liquid. He's yeah. made of like Terminator two style liquid blood. Um, and he, because he's not, he's got no physical presence anymore. It's all the blood holding him together. He can be easily defeated by the anticoagulant. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think everything fits together and, and this movie specifically also you know modern superhero movies and She-Hulk makes a very on the nose joke about it about how a lot of superhero movies the villain is just a, a slight like color swap of the hero uh, they've got the same powers and they fight the same way and it feels kind of hackneyed this well, yeah, movie especially the Hulk he just fights big Hulk monsters right he just fights other Hulks um, this movie because blood is vampire related, but also because blood has this duality in the whole film of it. It gives power, but it takes power. It It's a strength for blade, but it's also a weakness or a liability for blade. The fact that blood is both is a double edged sword here works mm-hmm. and works in a way that just giving somebody else blade powers wouldn't quite. So, yeah. um, Everything fits together really effectively. And that is, again, all background to what is just like a cool martial arts movie with like clever 90s villains. The other thing that that gets lost, and I think you can see Joss Whedon hearing this kind of language and adapting it for things like Buffy, and it reaches its peak here and gets diminishing returns ever since, is the villains who are a little bit self-aware. So like Donald Logue, yeah, as the, as the lack, he's funny and he's funny because he's like a dumbass, yeah. But he's having the time of his life, like he's having so much fun the entire time. And Deacon Frost, at the one point, there's this exchange where Donald Logue's trying to describe how badass Blade is, and Deacon Frost's like, "Oh yeah, with the sword and the spinning around, like I know, shut up, go fight him again." And it's clever because they are aware. They're a little bit self-aware of how goofy they are, but it's not lampshading bad writing. Right. It, it is weird to see the Donald Logue performance in this because I showed this to my wife and she was like, man, he's doing that like annoying thing. And it's, it is the annoying thing. It's become the annoying thing. In but it movies. wasn't annoying there. He's yeah. delightful. Yeah, but it, it is, it's, it's hard to divorce it from every single replication of that fucking trope. It like that is established in because it really doesn't exist. I'm trying to think. It really doesn't exist in X Men or in Spider Man. There isn't oh. like that 
that Ryan Reynoldsy character. I was gonna say that trope gains sentience and becomes Ryan Reynolds, <laughs> right? Who is in the third Blade movie and yep. is doing the Donald Logue thing and sucks. <laughs> like is arguably like uh, when people. I think I think people mistakenly place the blame on Jessica Biel and Ryan Reynolds for the third Blade movie being bad. I think it's because at that point they fully see control to David Goyer and he directs in addition to writes that movie and he can't he can't keep it together um but yes to 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 highlight some of the shit that happens in this movie that is fucking crazy um the first scene yes the first scene is so refreshing yeah. um especially coming from twilight the first scene is exactly what we want out of to go back to last week the idea of if you have a good guy vampire you have to very clearly establish what makes him different from the bad guy vampires. Mm -hmm. And the absolute unbridled total excess of the bloodbath dance party that the vampires are having very clearly establishes that they're all psychos, very clearly establishes that they're having fun, very clearly establishes that they um, will exploit humans um, they're all predators. They're all totally irredeemable. They're monsters, but they're also like sexy and enjoying themselves. Mm -hmm. And we understand the benefits that that power gives. Yeah. And then very clearly sets up you to root for Blade because they're all obviously incontrovertibly evil. Right. And also makes you understand how dangerous Blade is because they're all horrifying, but they're scared of him. Yeah. There's a real Omar coming to mm -hmm. his presence where, where if, if Blade is in the vicinity, people are freaking out. Um, but yeah, it's just cool. Like uh, like this dude, fish out of water, you don't see him for the rest of the movie, gets brought into this party, has no idea like what it is. It's called Bloodbath. There's a DJ that's playing all this like... They're in, and it's important that they're in a secret room in a giant meatpacking factory. So yeah. he has to go past a bunch of carcasses on hooks. Yeah. Like he, he's the meat. Yes, exactly. And it fucking rules. And then, the, and so they're, they're out there, they're partying or whatever. And then the sprinklers come on and cover everybody with fucking blood. It's a literal bloodbath. <laughs> and it and fucking we rules. It's, it's an incredible visual moment. It's a perfect like action movie set piece to get you pumped up, but also to explain the rules of the world. Mm -hmm. And you realize that he's that dude's like the only one there who's not a vampire. Right. Or or yeah, or there's just a bunch of humans sprinkled about around there and you know, they they, they came to be eaten. Um but it it is also a, a very sort of heavy handed metaphor for just like fucking. Like mm -hmm. literally just like sucking people in public. Um, and so off the bat, the movie is like, oh, the the vampires are like fucking wicked. Like the vampires are hypersexualized, um, super, like hyper indulgent, dangerous <laughs> also. Um not not being able to sort of like control those impulses. And, and, and again, like the the met the the vampire is not the interesting thing. It's what the various sort of aspects of the vampire allow for a story to explore, because those impulses in 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 some stories can be sort of coded for, um, like an interview with the vampire, where it doesn't really 
get to this point, it could be coded for a kind of repressed sexuality and the 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 inability to sort of or the negotiation that one has to do to sort of manage this this identity um here it is this sort of like excess indulgent like wealth uh like valorization of high society entitlement and shit like that and then you get boom the doors open he blows him off and it's just blade is right there and he starts killing everybody. Yeah. And it's important what you said about the negotiation of repressed sexuality because blade, this is the perfect clarity between bad guy vampires and blade mm. blade is all about discipline. He's got the martial arts, like Zen garden thing in his apartment. He specifically has to wrestle with not feeding on humans because it'll drive him into blood frenzy. And so he's practicing a very specific kind of um, restraint. Mm -hmm. um, and then in kind of slasher movie style, where does all that energy get redirected to? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Murdering everybody. Yeah. And, but it, it is also a very, I think multi-layered because that restraint is important for him to control and it. And to a, to a large degree, it's important for, a, a lot of us to control these sorts of, um, you know, like the 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 worst versions of ourselves. It 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 can affect different parts of your identity that actually need to be exercised, that actually yeah. need to be sort of let out. And so the trauma that he's dealing with of losing his mother and of being essentially an orphan and. Um, not allowing people to get close to him, being nomadic, and and Whistler is 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 a father figure that he is oftentimes sort of like because he has become so hardened by the world. Like there's that scene uh, where Karen is like they're at the train, and Karen is like, "But Whistler," and he's like, "He'll he, you know whatever." It will be fine. I'll take care of him. Doesn't matter. He's a, um, he's a grown man. And, yeah, like he got a lot of love for him. Like, well, he makes the weapons and I use them. We got an arrangement. Like, come on, dude, just say you love your father figure. It's fine. But that but at the end of I, the movie, it pushes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, but what I love about this movie is, and what it what later films in this mold get wrong is that the movie does not let Blade off the hook for this. Yeah, it recognizes and it shows you very clearly that Blade's kind of a dick, and that's not good. Right, like he's. He is at fault for the way he has been unable to be a functioning nice person mm -hmm. while also dealing with this other trauma. Like he breaks the hematologist's apartment up and she's like, dude, don't do that. Or he's yeah. like, Usually she's constantly, yeah. Yeah, she's constantly riding along trying to remind him of his humanity. And that is something that like later hard boiled heroes don't get somebody like taking them to task for being jerks. Yeah. And, and but towards the end of the movie there is this weird like and i think wesley snipes some of his line readings i would say in this movie are bad but like in the in a kind of like um i don't know like steven seagalish type of way where it's like the action hero type of thing um he in the whistler death scene gives such an understated performance yeah that whereas before there and there's a clear delineation made and again the fucking writing in this movie is so good and it is baffling where all throughout karen establishes this relationship with whistler whistler who's also kind of a dick right mm -hmm. um 
but like shows that she gives a shit about him and he 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 warms up to her they save her save her um or or, or stop her from turning or whatever and so there's there there's all this sort of like um talk about blade's relationship with whistler and you get the sense and this is what a well-written movie does that if karen hadn't been there she had never existed that in that moment blade would have just fucking shot him in the head but there is doubt in his face and there's a refusal at one point he doesn't give him the gun to kill himself and when he's walking away there is a there is a subtle agony that Wesley Snipes emotes and you see this like this this character growth but it it can't be can't be complete he can't save Whistler like he's still battling with this shit and it is like really for a movie like this that's not supposed to happen (laughs) yeah this this movie doesn't has no right to like have this kind of subtle character and no. yet it does and wesley snipes like even his when he, so okay so he kills all those those vampires at the at the club mm. um and it, it kicks off this whole like he's uncovering a vampire conspiracy resurrect the blood god deacon frost is trying to destroy the the status quo yeah. of vampirism hematologist gets bit by Donald Logue after he's been burned half to a crisp and is slowly regenerating. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Donald Logue, he plays a fucking pain in the ass vampire who just won't die. Wesley keeps let, trying yeah. to kill his ass and he just won't die. Gets his arm, keeps getting his arms cut off. They keep growing back. He's, he's ridiculous. Um, so she gets, she gets bit. Um, Blade saves her sort of, but she, she's wonderful and clever and starts developing a cure because she's already a hematologist for vampirism as long as you were turned and so to your point she gives him character growth she gives him an out she gives him new tools she gives him new emotional maturity and at the end he's able to understand that although he has the ability to give up his some of his vampire nature um that would also give up his strength and he is willing to retain his strength and retain the curse of vampirism in order to continue to fight the good fight Right. But that is a choice he then actively is able to make mm. instead of being stuck on this like mindless crusade. He's able to have a moment of reflection and go, no, it's important that I continue to do this and also accept that he does actually like the power that comes with his position. Yeah. And, but I also think and and, and, and and so, yes, absolutely. But the subtext of that is he is consummating intimacy Mm -hmm. and that scene is shot such that it looks like blade and karen are having sex they are Uh, where he bites her where where he yeah and then oh she gives him his blood yeah yeah. and there's this very like she's mothering him he has to suckle on her for strength but it's also the way it's shot and a lot of thrusting it's very it's explicitly sexual yeah and she says keep going and she's moaning and all of this stuff and that is a kind of intimacy that he has not allowed himself to uh indulge in and this is so much better than edward and bella of like cause it's right. the same it's theoretically the same idea of he doesn't know if he can stop himself he doesn't know if he can trust himself with all that. Yeah. and then and it's a sexual analog and then um you see the beast that he becomes but it 
it tells a broader story beyond just an abusive relationship. Right. Yeah. And it is, it, it, and they are signaling, and I don't know why, you know, how they even had this instinct. They are signaling consent in that moment because she says, keep going. She says, you know, she, and she it. understands yeah. what she's doing. She does then start saying, stop. Right. <laughs> and then, and then he doesn't because he's now lost to the vampire blood, but he stops at the last moment. Um, she doesn't die. She ends up, being a continuing to be a badass and mm. fighting other vampires despite does, having she, suffered. Doesn't she fight the lady in the white dress right afterwards? Yeah, literally right <laughs> afterwards. Um, yeah, she's she's very cool and very. Um, but yeah, they're going for something there where he's and you're absolutely right. And it's emotional intimacy in addition to physical intimacy because he's able to let down his walls and do all of this stuff that he has um, prevented himself from experiencing until this point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so fucking good. And, yeah, Wesley Snipes' performance is fantastic. Um, Chris Christopherson is great. Donald Logue is great. And I guess we do got to talk about Dorf. I mean, God, what a fucking dick. Steven Dorf in this movie is so good. I hate him. He's <laughs> totally hateable. He, the, he And he's interesting because he, this movie is also doing multiple different kinds of vampires. Yeah, you got the old school vampires. Steven Dorff feels like he's playing um, the lead in the Lost Boys. Yeah, he's like Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah, yeah. he's like Kiefer Sutherland, and <laughs> yeah. that like, and he's got like the look. Um, you know, it's a very kind of it. I mean, Edward uh, is very much in the the Deacon Frost mold, like very pale, but like dress shirt, mm-hmm. you know, pretty. I was thinking um, that I was like, this he could be a Twilight vampire, mm-hmm, like at, Twilight at this vampire. age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. But he's also like um, Clockwork Orange. Yeah, uh, Alex Delarge. Yeah, the the way, especially the scene where he kills uh, Udo Kier's vampire character in the sun in on the beach, like this sort of like anarchic violence that he's doing. He is manages to be cool, but also totally irredeemable. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not, you're never rooting for Deacon Frost. He's funny, but he's a total psycho, and he's not like fun. Um, you don't, you don't side with him or root for him, even though you understand him to be like cool. And it, that's a difficult yeah. line to walk. It, it's an interesting. It's a lost art. Um, he is a villain who doesn't have a point. It's like no, he's he's wrong. Like yeah. that's wrong well, with him. Yeah, but what he does have is a in uh, inferiority complex. Yeah. So you understand why he's doing it. It's like a kind of dumbass incel reason to do something, <laughs> but you get what he's up to. Of like the all of his bravado is covering this total um, insecurity about his place in the world. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I mean, he, he plays it really well, too. I, he, he has a bizarre career because it does seem like it does seem like at this moment he's like, he's going to break out. He's going to become like a mainstay in American cinema. And he just kind of doesn't. He is like an indie darling or whatever. But um, this performance in particular, I think, is one of his probably I mean, probably his magnum opus. I think somewhere the Sofia Coppola movie is pretty good, too. Um but yeah, this 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 character was bananas. Um, everybody struck lightning with this movie all at once. Yeah, yeah. Um, everybody got, got a lot of traded off of this movie for a, a yeah. while. 
there are career highlights for most people in this movie. Um, Donald Logue's still great. Donald Logue might be the only one who's still working consistently in this whole movie. Yeah, no, I w- but I do wonder if they're going to bring Wesley back. I mean, I get, they pushed fucking um, they pushed Blade to twenty twenty four, and the only people that I know who are attached to that are Mah- Mahershala, obviously, is playing Blade, and then um, Delroy Lindo is playing an undisclosed character. It's got to be Whistler because he's older. Yeah. Um, and I, I gotta just wish. Wesley would have been Whistler. Um, oh, that would have been great. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe, yeah, yeah maybe he doesn't want, because Wesley can still fight. So maybe he wouldn't even want to play the old guy with the knee brace. <laughs> like, it's hobbled, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it's tough because, you know, for a while, so uh, for a while, they were going to do an Underworld Blade crossover, and that got scuttled because yeah. they had, Disney said, no, we're actually going to use Blade, put him in the MCU. And then for a while, there was going to be a project where it's going to be Wesley Snipes as Blade and it's going to focus on his daughter, um, who's in the comics, and do like a passing of the torch thing. And Wesley Snipes is notoriously kind of hard to work with, um, but has also been massively screwed over by the industry. And so it's he's not like a good dude, but he's good at this. And um, yeah, I mean, this character is relevant because of his performance. And this whole concept of marrying a really, really clever vampire story with a, sh- a specifically genre piece in black exploitation and kung fu um, is what we have been asking for from the MCU forever: of find a point, find a metaphor, find a genre. Don't keep making movies that all look the same. And I don't think that. I mean, unless we we get they pushed it out to 2024 because they're going to seed some more adult content between now and then to the point where they can make an R-rated Blade movie, um, there's no way that an MCU cookie-cutter homogenized product is ever going to understand this, like, subversive uh, critique of capitalism and race. It yeah. Just, they're not equipped to do that. Well, yeah, because the, 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 the genre itself, I mean, black exploitation is... It has that baked into its very sort of DNA, right? I mean, so there's no way, like you'd have to you'd have to commit to genre, you'd have to commit to the hard R, you'd have to commit to um, showing sexuality on screen, you'd have, have to, commit, to commit to killing a bunch of cops. Yeah, you'd have to commit to all of the the, the sort of various genre trappings and still make something that is, um, you know. Uh, socially resonant and fits within the bounds of the MCU because as much as I would have loved if Blade were separate or like some kind of black label, it doesn't seem like they're doing that. It seems like, you know, Hugh Jackman is coming back to play Wolverine in the, in the new Deadpool movie. So Deadpool is going to be like involved with the X-Men. And so that means Blade and then, Blade was in the post credit scene of the Eternals movie with Kit Harrington, so it doesn't seem like he's going to be able to sort of like play in his own sandbox. He's going to have to exist in the broader sort of world, um, which you know, I I think I think a vampire could be an interesting. I, I, I like how does a vampire work in where they're going in the MCU. I don't know. And that is the problem with this. Everything has to be in the same universe is, as we said, the X-Men movies work most effectively when they are their own thing. 
Yeah. They're a world in and of themselves. When you cross them over, they lose their point. They lose their resonance. They lose their metaphorical value when you're like, well, how does somebody know that Spider-Man's a mutant, but a different kind of mutant from an X-Men mutant? Like, right. Why do we hate them and not the other ones? That's stupid. That doesn't make sense. Um, and that is why this first Blade movie is so effective. It doesn't care about anything else. It's just its own thing. It stands alone. It works. It specifically, like other movies we've seen, talks about mm-hmm. some of these vampire rules are real. Some of them aren't. We're deciding which ones we care about. This is our story. This is what we're sticking with. And it just goes from there. And it's not beholden to anything else. And it makes that. It's able to just make its own point. Yeah. Um so on Snipes' career, Wesley Snipes was a, a really interesting sort of figure in the 90s is doing a lot of movies like Sugar Hill, like Demolition Man, like White Man Can't Jump, and he quickly sort of becomes a household name. Blade is where he takes all of the sort of like capital that he earns in the 90s and he makes his own sort of project, um, which he serves as a producer for. And I was I was curious because I don't know what he did after Blade. And so I pulled up his filmography and pretty much every movie he does after Blade Trinity is directed video. Bummer. Like all of them are direct to video. And only recently has he started showing up in uh, more sort of mainstream releases. He was in the uh, recent Coming to America sequel. Uh, he was in Dolomite is My Name. So he's slowly coming back. I think that um, people have had uh, sympathy since he's gone through sort of tax issues and shit like that. I mean, he just really lives that like, I don't fuck with the government life <laughs> to, to his own detriment. Um, so it, I don't know. It, it would be interesting to know if, 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 if they bring him into the MCU. It would also be interesting to know how much Marshall is willing to push to be like, no. Blade has to say motherfucker. Yeah, that's a good point. Is Marshall, I mean, this movie got delayed partially because Marshall's not not happy with the script. Um, I can't again, imagine what the first draft looks like. It's probably a disaster. <laughs> and again, it probably is hollow, is what I would imagine. Yeah. Just simply hollow without resonance and without meaning. Yeah. Um, and that's what I hope they can you know cobble together by the time the next one comes out. So anyway, final point on Blade. Um, it does drag a little bit in the middle. Um, it's like this because everybody's so serious and the, there's a lot of him just like wandering around that warehouse with with uh, Whistler. But in general, manages to be uh, super cool action-y but have something to say as well. And um, I think is manages to be one of the best vampire movies we've seen because it's has a point and a story that are not wrapped, it's not wrapped up specifically in we want to put vampires on screen. Right. We want to put critiques of capitalism on screen and issues of race and vampires are a delivery system for that. And it just nails it. Yeah. Uh, so really, really great. So um, since he is a hunter next week, we are going to be shifting, taking this, this track a little farther and speaking specifically about hunters underworld, which we'll continue to talk about as a, a, a pale imitation um, of blade. Uh, and then, um, Van Helsing potentially and uh, Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter. Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter, which um, is a little indie film that, that wants to say something about vampires and loves uh, schlocky genre pieces as well. So it'll be a good a good um, trade off, and we might talk a little bit about Supernatural as well, since they are of course hunters. Yeah, and then we'll end with 
a discussion of, of some sort of international takes on, on vampires. Um, and then we'll be done. And, and, you know, just to, in, in sort of closing, we've missed a lot. We've missed a lot. We're going to, in, in mid November, we're going to tackle it all. So all the house of the dragon shit, black Adam, reshifting the DC universe, James Gunn, a point like all the like nerd shit that we love. So much of it happened in October. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so it'll be part of our usual brand of uh, having red hot takes about ice cold topics. <laughs> Things that are no longer relevant anymore. But we'll get a good sense of the box office on Black Adam by the time we have like a more sort of like unstructured episode. I mean, more unstructured uh, <laughs> episode. Um, but that will largely determine it is so weird. They wrap up James Gunn before he even sees the box office gross on Black Adam. And it's like, what the fuck are you even getting into? Why would yeah, you sign he, up for this? Yeah, it absolutely. It's like blindfolding him. Like He has no idea yeah. where he's supposed to go from here. Am I going to have to keep making fucking shit like this movie that made a billion dollars? Or thank God this movie tanked and I can tell The Rock to go fuck himself. Um, and just keep making peace, Peacemaker series. No yeah. idea. But my favorite wrestler turned actor and all this shit. <laughs> yeah. John Cena somehow yeah. turned into the best wrestler turned actor. Yeah. Uh, that'll do it for this episode of Is This Just Bad? Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Is This Just Bad? Email us at Is This Just Bad? at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at Sergeant Bucky Bear. It's SGT Bucky Bear. And follow them all on Instagram at Mad Ball Cosplay. We'll see you in the next one. Bye. Is this just bad? Bad? It's like what pirates forge your brain, robbing knowledge, no joking. Opening your mind with a crowbar till you're woken, hitting Hydra, hailing hairs, half a time for hella reasons. We're more than winter soldiers, with the men for all seasons. Listen closely while we share our expertise in cosmic comics culture, Dean is free tuition to the multiversity. Mouse and psycho teaching perfect balance when we snap infinite gems into your ears, dust our shoulders when we speak. Purple man persuasive feet, where Randy Savage rattles with immortal technique. Ooh. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.